go ahead and get started this morning. If you would, open your Bibles to Ezekiel 34. Um, and if you have the handout, you're already there. So Ezekiel 34. And um, we're going to launch off into our third class on the study of the Gog-Magog uh, War that's coming up in chapter 38 and 39. We did it started at chapter 33 to gain some context uh, for it because... Um, there's some interesting things that are that are going on, and people are saying, well, it's getting ready to fulfill Ezekiel 38 and 39, that uh, some people believe this is going to happen prior to the rapture. Actually, that, and I actually heard a, a pastor uh, last week who did an excellent job laying out the... Um, uh, the history of Israel, the history of Hamas, where it came from, which, by the way, means violence in Hebrew. That's what the word means. And so uh, he laid out the history at whose land was it, where did it come from. And um, then he got to the end of Ezekiel 38, and he was running out of time. And he said, and right between Ezekiel 38 and 39 is the rapture. Let's pray. And I'm, And I just... Just in time for me to go, no, um, rapture does not fit between Ezekiel 38 and 39. And I'll show you why as we, as we move through here. Where, where does it fit? Well, uh, this chart that's uh, on the back of that prophecy book on the back, uh, pretty good size. And also I got some little cards so you can carry them with you. And take a look because uh, it's, it's the outline of the chronology of the tribulation as I as I understand it and if you kind of look at it I think you'll see that this is where things fit uh, along the way because there is a chronology but it is not found in like going from chapters 6 to 7 to 8 to 9 you have to fit the pieces together because chapter 11 is going on during chapter 6 Chapter 12 is going on during 6 and 7. Chapter uh, 13 is also going on during 6. So you have to figure out where the pieces fit uh, in the book of Revelation in order to understand the chronology of Revelation. So you take it and study it topically, and then you, you figure out where the topics fit, how you have to do prophecy. We've been talking about that because the way you do any uh, study of the Bible... Uh, is hopefully you go through and, and you study it verse by verse. You look intently at the verses, but then you compare Scripture with Scripture. That's the important part of hermeneutics. You let Scripture interpret itself. And if you do that, more frequently than not, it will tell you what it's meaning. As you might read a passage and you go, I have no clue what that means. And the key there is to keep reading. Okay? And read it over and over again. Then you start to see where the pieces of this 31,000-piece jigsaw puzzle actually fit. So uh, Monica's real good at jigsaw puzzles, but uh, I don't think she could work the 30,000-piece puzzle yet. So um, it'd probably be as big as that wall, but it, it would be she could do it. I know she could do it. So anyway, that's what we're looking at with prophecy. Uh, chapter 33 that we looked at over the last couple of weeks uh, is about the importance of appointing a watchman. And Ezekiel is actually appointed a watchman in the land. And when watchmen see trouble approaching, they are responsible to let people know. That's part of what, what they do. And that's what they're called to do. Ezekiel was appointed a watchman. Now Ezekiel uh, was what is called an exilic prophet. He was a prophet when Israel was in the exile into Babylon. So you have to know who wrote it, when they wrote it. It's part of understanding scripture. Who, what, when, where, why, and how. You ask those questions and you do your best to answer them. So if you know who the prophet is, you can identify the prophet uh, and his time frame and when he lived and all that. And you can you get a better understanding of what he's trying to say at a given point in time. So that's pretty well what we're looking at right here. He is a prophet in exile. We actually had a time tag last week in the 12th year and the 5th month and all that. And it, it's one of those things that helps us set up a biblical chronology, a biblical time frame that we fit other things into. 
Now, before we start tonight, um, let's get ready. It's uh, I know none of you have heard the news today, so <laughs> if you've heard any news, let's put it on cancel for right now, and let's just see what this what this passage has got to say to us. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, again, we thank you for this day, for your love and your mercy and your grace, for most of all, for sending your Son to pay a debt we couldn't pay. Father, we will be ever grateful for that. And Father, we're ever grateful for your Word. And we know that your Word reveals your Son. And Father, I pray that we would indeed get a better understanding of your Word, and therefore your Son, and that we would do so tonight. I pray that The confusion that is being broadcast around the world today, I pray for some clarity of understanding and thought so that we might be able to navigate these stormy waters uh, quite well. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, in Ezekiel chapter 34, this is the chapter about shepherds, bad shepherds primarily, and that's what we find in the first six verses. These are shepherds that don't shepherd now, are the shepherds the pastors? Are the shepherds the priests? Are the shepherds the kings? What are they? Well, the scripture is going to tell us that it basically is looking at the leadership in a nation whose job it is to care for those allotted to their charge. So it includes leadership of all kinds. And then in verse 1, Then the word of the Lord came to me, says Ezekiel, saying, Son of man, we noted earlier that, that Ezekiel's called Son of Man more than anybody else. This is a title Jesus had for himself. And he's basically saying that when, when, when God is called Ezekiel Son of Man, he's got a role and he, play, he plays a type of the Messiah. If they would listen to Ezekiel, they could get saved. Not by believing in Ezekiel. But they need to listen to the prophecies that are there that are going to reveal the Redeemer who can save them. He says, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Shepherds is a word, ra'ah. It's uh, what we call a Hebrew 101 word. It's one of those basic words you learn real fast because it's used a whole lot. So you've got to learn it because you're going to run into it all the time. He says, prophesy and say to those shepherds, thus says the Lord God, woe, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding themselves Should not the shepherds feed the flock? This is God speaking through Ezekiel, and he says, Go talk to the the shepherds, the leaders of Israel. Woe is our oi word. (laughs) It is an interesting word. It's used 51 times in the Old Testament. That's before you ever get into the New Testament. In Matthew 23, what do you scribes and Pharisees? And the three woes of the book of Revelation. It's only used, uh, this is the third use found in the book of Ezekiel so far. The first one was in 13.3, and it's interesting because he says, Woe to the the foolish shepherds. This is back 20 chapters ago. Woe is, is basically, look out, the discipline is impending. Woe, stop, take a look, because you're getting ready to get hammered is what, what it's really saying. And so, and then 13.18, interesting woe. The second woe is woe to the women who make these magic charms and these uh, do these incantations and, and make this, this kind of clothing that they use in their magic arts. He says, basically, don't even get involved in that ladies of making things that can be used by witches is what is what they're saying and this is the third use so here is this shepherds of israel and these are the ones who've been feeding themselves and not feeding the flock you eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool you slaughter the fat sheep without feeding the flock now we know that the priests, that's primarily what they did, and the priesthood by this time is part of the problem in Israel. The priesthood had turned it into a money-making deal. 
Okay? The love of money is root of all kinds of evil. Well, it's certainly penetrated through Israel, and that's what, what it's saying. Because the, the fat sheep are the rich sheep. And when it's talking about the sheep of Israel, it's talking about all the inhabitants of Israel primarily. And then you have to decide which ones are believers and which ones aren't. When we get to the, the sheep in the New Testament, we're one of the sheep, and sheep are believers. When you get the separation of the sheep and the goats, sheep are believers, the goats are not believers. But here in this, this context, he's talking about basically those in Israel who are of God's flock. He says, those who are sickly, you've not strengthened. So here you are, a shepherd that's supposed to care for the sheep, but the sheep that are sickly, you haven't strengthened. The diseased you haven't healed. The broken you have not bound up. The scattered you have not brought back. Nor have you sought for the lost. But with force and with severity you have dominated them. Dominated is the word radah. And it means to tread down. You've just walked all over people. And I've, you know, we've heard that said. Well that person just walk all over you if you let them. Well that's what the shepherds of Israel are being accused of. It says in verse 5, they were scattered for lack of a shepherd. Does that sound familiar at all? Seems like that happened at the cross <laughs> with the disciples. And the Lord said they're scattered for lack of a shepherd. But see, the chief shepherd was there. The problem was they didn't have faith in him yet. And he says, and they became food for every beast of the field, and they were scattered. This applies to both the northern and the southern kingdom. See, Ezekiel, when they were first conquered by Babylon, the Jews were, 598 B.C. 120 years earlier, the northern kingdom was defeated, and it was scattered. Okay, But Judah and Benjamin, the southern tribes, they survived all of that. And this is the time... When the southern kingdom is getting their discipline uh, that comes along. And he says, my flock wandered through all the mountains. They wandered on every high hill. My flock was scattered over all the surface of the earth. There was no one to search or seek for them. Why? Because the shepherds that were supposed to take care of them and look for the lost sheep didn't go. Because it was all about them. So the Lord lays the problems in Israel squarely at the shepherd's feet. Jesus the good, the great, and the chief shepherd will be struck down and the sheep will be scattered. We saw that in Matthew 26, 31. He's saying it was, it was going to happen. Zechariah mentions that as well. What happens to the people is usually the result of the shepherds not fulfilling their calling. And the shepherds are the leaders of the flock. So it includes the priests, but it's not limited to it. In fact, how do we, how do we know that? Because David, David is called to shepherd Israel. Okay? So it includes even the kings. It includes the, the, the leaders of the families. It includes everybody in a leadership position. And he says, they're all in it for themselves. Kind of sounds like our Congress. Now, <clears throat> in the church, shepherds are known as pastors. That's where the word comes into the church. Poimain and poimeno are the uh, is the noun and the verb that that describes what a pastor's role is. A pastor means shepherd. That's that's where it comes from. So if it's being applied to the church age, you got to ask: Are the pastors doing what they're supposed to be doing? Okay, because God's no respecter of persons. If you're in a position of responsibility and you're not doing it, the result's going to be discipline. That's what's going to happen. In this paragraph are some clear characteristics of false shepherds. And we can see him, Jesus like he just goes back to Ezekiel 34 and he pulls it into John chapter 10. And he teaches some great principles in John chapter 10. And he makes a statement, one of the I myself am statements found in the book of John, which is, I, me, to the exclusion of everybody else, am. He said, I am the good shepherd. Okay? That's a claim that he makes. He says, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Did Jesus do that? Because when they made these, these sheepfolds, they, it was a circular enclosure 
they had rocks piled up three or four feet high, and there was one door. And the shepherd laid across the door to know if the sheep, you know, sheep were trying to get out or whatever. That's what happened. And that he's the good shepherd. Good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He's he's laying across the door. He says, He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd. These are people that don't have the right attitude. They are becoming shepherds for monetary gain, for recognition, for whatever. He's a hired hand. He's not the owner of the sheep. Sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. Okay, the hired hand's coward. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. What's happened to Israel? The same thing. (laughs) The shepherds are cowards. They haven't told them the truth. They've tried to fatten themselves up. And now what's happened? They're scattered. He flees because he's a hired hand and he's not concerned about the sheep. Now poor leadership and poor leadership is defined by not following God's standards was a significant reason for the scattering of the northern and southern kingdoms of Israel. Significant reason. Now this does not negate individual responsibility. It's interesting that things filter from the top down. Things that aren't important to the leaders frequently are not important to those allotted to their charge. And when you find truth and honor in the American way, not important to the leaders of a nation, what happens? You have unrighteousness in the streets is what you've got. Now, when you find that in the church, when preaching the truth, whenever living the truth, is not important to the leadership. It's real easy for people to follow that because they're following their sin nature. It's a lot more familiar. Now the Lord in, in verses 7 to 10 is going to demand the return of the flock. And he says in verse 7, Therefore you shepherds hear the word of the Lord. And I, I love the word hear. It just jumped out at me. Because back in Deuteronomy 6.4, which is here, O Israel. The Jews call it the Shema, because that's the Hebrew word. And it is the command to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and strength. The Shema. It is frequently the verse that they wrote down and they put in phylacteries around their neck. That's what they carried around their neck. And so he says, hear the word of the Lord. So this is another Shema that he's giving in the middle of the exile. As I live, declares the Lord God. And following the word order here and saying what it says, it says, alive am I. It's a dogmatic statement of fact that we serve a living God. Alive am I, declares the Lord God. Surely because my flock has become a prey. My flock has even become food for all the beasts of the fields for lack of a shepherd. And my shepherds did not search for my flock, but rather the shepherds fed themselves and did not feed my flock. It's so easy for a shepherd to lose sight of the fact that whose sheep are they. And when that happens, this chapter's for them. When it all becomes all about them and what they do for themselves and to build up themselves, enhance themselves and all that, Here's a chapter that says, you're in trouble. You're you're going the wrong way. Verse 9, therefore you shepherds hear Shema again. You know, God's just got to say it once and we ought to pay attention to it. But when he says it twice, real close together, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says Adonai Elohim, the Lord God. Behold, I am against the shepherds. Isn't that the last thing you want to hear in this world? Is the Lord is against you? And I shall demand my sheep from them and make them cease from feeding sheep. Okay? They have been fired. (laughs) Is one way to say it. They have failed at their job. And he says, I want my sheep back. And they're out of here. They don't have that position anymore. 
So the shepherds will not feed themselves anymore, but I, which is the Adonai Elohim, shall deliver my flock from their mouth, that they may not be food for them. Now, the, the shepherds, we've got a pretty good idea. The beasts are those people out there that, that just prey on weak people all over the place, and the shepherds didn't protect them. It's clear the Lord is not pleased with the bad shepherds. The bad shepherds are a major part of the problem of why are they not in their land when this is being written. Primarily because of the shepherds. Primarily because of the shepherds. This includes the kings and their staff. Because, as we're going to see in a minute, David is to be shepherd over Israel. It indicates that not just the kings, but the priests are going to be removed. Now, what happened? What happened to the line of kings that actually held the position? It ended in the exile. It was already over in the northern kingdom. Okay? It already ended in 721 when the Assyrians came in and they conquered the northern kingdom. And the line of kings in the northern king, kingdom ended. In the southern kingdom, it kept going on, though. And what you find is a group of weak kings that emerge, and it doesn't take long when a weak leader gets in charge of a nation to destroy it. It doesn't take long. One of the things I've found doing a uh, back all the way back in seminary, <clears throat> and uh, one of our first courses was a course in ancient Sumer. Now I'd never even heard of Sumer until I went to seminary, and we had to study the history of ancient Sumer. And um, honestly, it was had some boring parts to it, <laughs> but, but it was ancient Sumer, and it was in the Tigris-Euphrates River Valley. It became known as Shinar. That's what we find in Genesis chapter 10. We know that that's what it is because the the consonants, the S, the M, and the R, really that's all that, that comes across in a lot of languages. And translating from one language to another, often the M's and the N's are replaced. Often the R's and the D's are replaced. And that makes the difference between this language and that language as to whether they're using R's or D's. Just like the word uh, shibboleth or sibboleth. Because there's two different S's in, or actually three different S's in the Hebrew language. And one is a, a simple S and the other one is a SH, SH. And that other language they were trying to find out, or these spies coming in, didn't have an SH in their language. So they couldn't say the right word. So they were able to identify the spies. But <clears throat> kings and priests are going to be removed. And is this a, just a slight inference? to the fact that there's going to be a new priesthood. See, this is one of those little hints that you get in the Old Testament that there is going to be something else, things into which angels long to look. There is going to be something that they didn't quite know about. We know it now as the church because we're living in it. But they didn't They didn't know about it. It's called a mystery. And it looks like here, he says, I'm going to pull the kings out. I'm going to pull the priest out. Uh, we're going to have a new priesthood. That's what we're going to have. <clears throat> now, this number 10 here, this is the 10th paragraph since we started from Ezekiel 33, and that's where these numbers are coming from because this whole whole book, this presentation is outlined. And this is verses 11 to 16. It says, The Lord will regather his flock. It says, <clears throat> For thus says the Lord God, Behold, it's the Hebrew, henah. I love this word, henah. It's just kind of like getting the kids' attention. <laughs> you know, behold. Well, henah. I myself will search for my sheep <laughs> and seek them out. Yeah, if Jesus is the good shepherd, and he is, <laughs> okay, he's going to go after his sheep, right? John 10:11 Jesus saw that they were like, like sheep without a shepherd. We've already talked about that. 
And what did he send his disciples out to do? To go to the lost sheep of Israel. Did they get them gathered back at the first advent? No. But he says, this is something that's going to happen. I'll search for them and seek them out. As a shepherd cares for his herd in the day when he is among his scattered sheep, so I will care for my sheep, and I will deliver them from all the places to which they were scattered on a cloudy and a gloomy day. Now, the northern kingdom, see, never quite came back, did it? The southern kingdom came back after the 70 years in exile in Babylon when they were carried off into exile, and then they came back, and under Ezra and Nehemiah, they rebuilt the temple. About 50 years, 75 years after they got back, they started rebuilding the temple under Artaxerxes I. This is Esther, and he gave the, the edict March 5th of 444 B.C. to rebuild the to rebuild Jerusalem. And so things work well, but the southern kingdom came back, but the northern kingdom didn't. So for Jesus to carry this out, this has got to have a still future fulfillment in it. See, this is how you, you, you read prophecy and figure out, is it fulfilled or not? And you have to ask, have they all come back into the land yet? Well, it's a partial fulfillment. Now, they have their own land, they're back in the land, but are they all there? No. And it's going to take a supernatural regathering to get them all back. Now, <clears throat> he says, And I, again context, Adonai Elohim, Lord God, will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries. Okay, So they're, <laughs> they're not just scattered out in the hills of Israel. From the countries uh, and bring them back, bring them to their own land. And I'll feed them on the mountains of Israel by the streams and in all the inhabited places of the land. I will feed them, my sheep, in a good pasture. And their grazing ground will be on the mountain heights of Israel. There they will lie down in good grazing ground. They will feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. This is something that is going to happen. It's going to be a complete fulfillment one of these days. And one of the sad things is we see some things starting to happen and everybody yells, fulfillment. No, it's just getting started. <laughs> it's just, if it says all of them are coming back, then all of them are coming back. So the question is, when? He says, I will feed my flock and I will lead them to rest, declares the Lord God. Hebrews chapter 4 is all about resting in the Lord and the fact that the Jews in the desert for 40 years never found rest. They didn't. Why didn't they find rest? <clears throat> because they didn't have the faith. Rest is about having the faith to be able to rest in the fact that God's in control. Okay? He's in control. He has the power. He loves me. And I will never be able to get out of his hand and nobody can take me. Now that's, that's where real rest comes from. I will seek the lost. I bring back the scattered. Bind up the broken. What didn't the shepherds do? <laughs> seek the lost, bind up the broken. Strengthen the sick. And the fat and the strong I'll destroy. I will feed them with judgment. Now, there's another passage in Isaiah 61, first couple of verses, that are, that are very close to this. And it is the passage that Jesus quoted at the first advent when he was in the synagogue. I have come to proclaim release to the captives. Okay? We know, we know that passage. And he says, and he, and he stopped. Closed the Isaiah scroll, went and sat down, and said, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And they were ready to kill him and stone him. Okay? But he basically told them there in the synagogue that day, I'm the one, and I'm here to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Now, you know the, where, he, where he left off? To proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Next phrase. And the day of vengeance of our God. He didn't read that. 
because that hadn't been fulfilled. That is yet to come. And it's not going to happen of the tribulation. So, <clears throat> there will come a time when the Lord will gather his sheep. And here it is, there's this partial regathering that has come back into Israel, being recognized in 1948. We're all familiar with that. In the context, it has to do with the final restoration of all of Israel to the land. This, that is the context of the upcoming chapters. The Jews frequently will tell you what they're going to tell you. Okay, They give you the bottom line, and then they start explaining it. And that's what he's going to do here. Here he's telling us, the Lord's going to bring Israel back to the land. And then in chapters 35, 36, and 37, he's going to tell us how he does it. How he brings them back. It's called the dry bones passage in Ezekiel 37. I know none of you have ever heard that old song, them bones, them bones, them dry bones. If Mike Dunn was here, he could sing it all for us. But it was uh, it's all about Ezekiel 37, coming back into the land. Now, <clears throat> the northern kingdom was scattered by the Assyrians in 721 B.C. The southern kingdom was conquered in 598 by the Babylonians and taken into exile in 586. And they returned to the land the same century, around 516, because they owed the Lord 70 sabbatical years because they didn't let the land rest over a period of 490 years. And he said, I'm going to collect them all at once. And Daniel figured that out. That's Daniel, 70 weeks. He said, I know why we're here. <laughs> we, we owe him. <laughs> we owe him the sabbatical years that we didn't let the land rest. So he's going to let the land rest for 70 years before he brings them back into that, that land. <clears throat> Judah will be scattered in 70 A.D. Totally and completely. See, they were carried off into exile. They weren't really scattered. They went as a group. But in 70 A.D., guess what? Because he says, I'm going to go get them from all the lands and from all the countries. And he's going to expand on that in the next next three chapters. They were all over the earth. And he's going to bring them back. This was not a prophecy that would be understood to be for the church age because it was still a mystery. They wouldn't be able to look at it and say... Uh, let's see, when is this going to happen? When are they going to get scattered? How are they going to get scattered? They wouldn't wouldn't be able to look into the church age because it's a mystery. It's a parenthesis. That's why Daniel's 70 weeks are so important because at the end of the 69th week of seven years, which is 483 years, 70 times 7 is 490 years. And we we know when they are, there have been doctoral theses written on it they have done excellent jobs of putting the days together and the dates together and the day jesus rode into jerusalem on the donkey was the end of the 69th week okay so he rides in there and then it says and after the 69th week messiah shall be cut off yeah what happened the cross (laughs) is what happened but there's going to be a 70th week hadn't happened yet when he shall seal up vision and prophet. These prophecies are all going to be fulfilled about Israel being back in the land. He's going to bring them all back in. He's going to restore them. Because there are promises to Israel here that are not fulfilled. And what would the devil like nothing better than? To see them all unfulfilled. What would a moss like to see? Because they are working the works of the devil. Hey, what would they like to see? Israel erased from the land. What's in their charter? Completely remove them from the land. They want them all dead. And the, the, the nice thing to see, which I hate to see stuff on campuses and things like that that's, that's going on right now, but the nice thing to see is they're being identified who they are. Hey? And instead of wanting to kill them, we ought to want to give them the gospel. That's what we ought to be wanting to do. And some are. We've got, uh, I got word from another missionary that uh, we support. He's on the back wall back there, and I'm not going to mention his name on tape, but I'll point him out after after we're done here. And <clears throat> he's going back into the Middle East and Egypt. He is going to leave uh, this next month, 
and he's headed headed back that way. And uh, he he's he's a guy that's <laughs> he, he goes to places I wouldn't go for a vacation, <laughs> and he just goes for a vacation. I mean, this is the kind of guy that that uh, that he is. But he's he's bold and he's strong with the gospel. And uh, he's he's done an amazing job, and he's getting getting ready to go back and head back out. So uh, I'll I'll tell you who he is when we get off off camera. Uh, <clears throat> but he needs our prayers, and I'll I'll keep you posted as we get closer. Now, in verse 17 and 19, here's a disrespect for God's flock. It says, "And as for you." My flock, he changes people he's addressing. He's been talking to the shepherds, remember. Thus says the Lord God. See, not only are the the shepherds and leadership responsible, the people are too. We we are great at victimhood, aren't we? If we can find, I, I heard that a good scapegoat is almost good as a solution. When people are looking for some way to solve a problem, find somebody to blame instead of figure out what to do with it. He says, <clears throat> Behold, I'll judge between one sheep and another. Okay, you think you got let off the hook because of lousy shepherds? And between the rams and the male goats. Now that ought to make us pause. Between the sheep and the goats. Didn't Jesus talk about this the week before the cross in Matthew 25, verses 31 to 46, and the separation of the sheep and the goats when he brings everybody back together from the whole face of the earth? And the goats are cast into the lake of fire, prepared for the devil and his angels, and the sheep are left to inherit the kingdom. He says, pay attention. Is it too slight a thing for you and I love this. It's a you all that's in there. It's actually a all you all that's in there. It's a plural. And, and thus in this paragraph, sheep and the goats, he's addressing all of them, that you should feed in good, good pasture, that you must tread down with your feet the rest of your pastures. He says, or that you should drink of the clear waters and that you must foul the rest with your feet. He's saying there's some sheep out there that are so self-centered, all they care about is stuff for themselves. Okay? And that's that's not what we're called to be. Didn't Matthew 25 say, you know, to the extent you did it to the least of these, you did it to me? I was hungry, you didn't feed me. I was thirsty, you didn't give me a drink? Hmm. That's not how people get saved, but it's how you live the Christian life. It's how we're called to do it. He says, and as for my flock, they must eat what you tread down with your feet, and they must drink what you foul with your feet. So there are sheep out there that are just running amok. And again, when you're talking about Israel, there's the fat sheep and the lean sheep. There's some that are unbelievers, but they're still sheep. Doesn't mean they're saved, but they're still sheep in Israel. And he says, what you do affects other people. Now, the separation of the sheep and the goats takes us to the time frame, which is right after the second advent. And I put season in there for a reason. Uh, We're actually going to cover some of that uh, Sunday when we look at the first chapter of Acts. And it's not for you to know the times and seasons that the Father's fixed by his own authority. Now, what is a season? Well, we're entering... We're in fall. We're getting ready to go into winter. A season is noted for certain characteristics. Oklahoma's got four very clear, distinct seasons as a rule. Most of them are all related to tornadoes. <laughs> but we've got the we've got the the seasons that are involved, and we're uh, we're in the the time when the leaves change and and the temperatures kind of up and down and bouncing around, and we're getting ready to go into cold time of year. And then we're going to come back out in the spring with more tornadoes. And then go into a hot time again. And those are called seasons. Now a season is a period of time marked by certain characteristics. There are other words, especially in the Greek, the word that's the word kairos in the Greek. Chronos in the Greek looks at the chronological sequence of events. 
So it looks at the succession of events over a period of time. Season looks at what's going on during that period of time. So he says it's not for you to know the chronology and it's not for you to know the season. You're not going to be here whenever it all comes together. Is what he's telling these disciples in Acts chapter 1. Now, <clears throat> what he is telling us here is that there's a lack of love for one another. Why they don't care about each other. It's all about them. They'll get the good food, they'll get the good water, and they don't care about anybody else. They don't love one another, not only from unbelievers, but also from within God's own flock. Now, verse 20. Therefore, thus says the Lord God to them. He's talking to the sheep and the male goats here. He's talking to the believer and the unbeliever alike. Behold, I, even I, will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep. Now he's distinguishing the two categories of sheep. See, before it was sheep and the goats. Basically, Israel, Gentiles. Now he says, even within Israel, there are two kinds of sheep. He says, because you, again a plural, y'all here, referring to the fat and strong sheep and the male goats, you push with side and shoulder and thrust it all the week with your horns until you've scattered my flock abroad. So here the, the fat sheep of Israel, wealthy people, powerful people, and they basically have sold out their, their brothers and sisters. Therefore I will deliver my flock. They'll no longer be a prey. He's talking about a time period that's never happened yet. When has Israel not been a prey? We, we see it now. It's wide open. It's on TV 24-7. We know that they are a prey to the, to the different nations. And he says, I will deliver my flock. They will no longer be a prey. When they went back to rebuild the city, they were still a prey. You remember Mordecai and the, the whole thing with the, in, the, in the book of Esther and Ezra and Nehemiah? They were still under persecution. He says, I'm going to judge between one sheep and another sheep. Between the fat sheep and the lean sheep. And if, if they're not believers and just playing the game trying to draw the blessings of Israel, blessing by association with Abraham, and they, know, they don't really believe in the Lord? Because what happened to Israel frequently... They followed other gods. That could be the fat sheep. They've enriched themselves. They've sold things that, that uh, enhance the um, uh, occult and all the magical arts and all that other stuff. He said, okay, I'll take care of you. Now, the summary, <clears throat> this especially fits the tribulation. With the unbelievers being led by the false prophet an unbelieving Jew with great power. Revelation 13, if you want to turn over there with me for a minute while I get a drink. The false prophet is a Jew. The, he is the beast out of the land. The beast out of the sea is the Antichrist, and believe it or not, he's a Gentile. He's not a Jew. The, the Antichrist is not is not a Jew. He's a Gentile. An explanation in that book back there on the, on prophecy as to why he's why he's a Gentile. But he's not a Jew. But here's a false prophet uh, that authenticates this Gentile. Revelation thirteen eleven. I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke like a dragon. And he exercises all the authority of the first beast, that's the beast out of the sea. See, the sea is the sea of nations that he's talking about. The land is the land of Israel. The sea is the sea of nations. <clears throat> and he makes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast, beast, whose fatal wound was healed. That's important to note the Greek here because uh, 
many people have said John Kennedy's coming back, his head wound is healed, and he's going to be the Antichrist and all this other stuff. No. <laughs> the Greek says a plague of death. Plague is the Greek word for plague. That's what's used here. It's a real simple word, real simple understanding. So this person died of plague. Okay? And he performs great signs so that he even makes fire come out of heaven to the earth in the presence of men. And he deceived, where did he get his power? From the first beast. First beast is indwelt by the devil. So he gets the power he has is satanic power. He deceives those who dwell on the earth because of the signs which it was given to him to perform in the presence of the beast. Telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who had the wound of the sword and has come to life. Okay? So this man from the past, this beast out of the sea, this antichrist, this king of the west, the man from, he, he died. And he's coming back. You think that might have something to do with the strong delusion coming on mankind? Who else rose from the dead? The Lord Jesus. What does this guy claim to have done? The same thing. Why is he called a false messiah? He's going to make the same claims. He says it was given to him to give breath to the image of the beast. Now we can have a lot of fun speculating on these passages. Don't have time for it tonight, but image of the beast, could that be a hologram? Could that be a clone that somehow they've brought to life with artificial intelligence? I mean, we've got stuff going on now. This is so easy to see a literal fulfillment of this. For centuries, they fought with this thing. That's why some people became allegorists because they couldn't reconcile how this could literally happen. And yet, now as we watch things progress, no big deal. That the image of the beast might even speak and causes many who does not worship the image of the beast to be killed. And he causes all, the small, the great, the rich and the poor, and the free men, the slaves, to be given a mark on their right hand or on their forehead. Now, that's a whole other study. And he provides that no one should be able to buy or sell except the one who has the mark. Either the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast. And the number is that of a man and his number is 666. 666. Three sixes. Interesting, we got three sixes. Six is the number of man. Seven is the number of perfection. Three sixes, who do we have? We have the devil, the false prophet, and the, and the antichrist. An unholy trinity. Okay, we've got a counterfeit of the trinity that, that is in heaven. It says they've got to have it. Now, he's not going to get this completely installed worldwide, but somewhere he's got the power to issue the command to do it. But not everybody's going to do it. Now the final gathering of his sheep will be supernatural. The second advent. Okay, After all the battles of the tribulation. When they, the, the final battle of Armageddon. It's all happened. The Lord comes back. And it says. Matthew 24, 29. Immediately after the tribulation. Of those days. Okay. So there's. 2,520 days, as I understand it, between the rapture and the second advent. Two periods of 1,260 days. Revelation 11:3 and 12:6 is where it gives them. And he says, and immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from the sky. And that's Zechariah 14. <laughs> Zechariah 14 is being quoted here by Jesus in Matthew, in the Olivet Discourse. And he says, The stars will fall from the skies, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky. And we can argue over what the sign of the Son of Man is. 
this side of it and probably cause new churches to emerge out of the argument over that thing. What I do know is people are going to know what it is in the tribulation. <laughs> okay, And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they'll see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. That's Revelation 19, coming back on the horses. And he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet, and they will gather to gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the sky to the other. So when is the final regathering of Israel? The second advent. How is it done? Supernaturally. The Lord sends his angels. They circle a globe. They pull everybody out and bring them right there to the land outside of, of Jerusalem for the separation of the sheep and the goats. It's a supernatural regathering. Further proof that this is information concerning the second advent is that the Jews will no longer be hunted by their enemies. What's going to happen after the rapture? Jews are a target. They're a target for the whole tribulation. Are they a target now? Yeah. Have they been a target? Yeah. Are they going to stop being a target now through great military victory? No. The victory that's going to win is the one Christ pulls off. And then they're not going to be a target because the millennial kingdom will be in play. David will be resurrected, seated on the throne, and the Lord will be sitting there next to him. Together they shall rule, or shepherd is actually the word. They put rule in the, in the, the New Testament. They put it in the Old Testament. It's a wrong translation. He shall shepherd the nations with the rod of iron. See, the chief shepherd is taking his seat on the throne is really what it is. And here's verse 23 and 24. He says, Then I, this is still the Lord God, Adonai Elohim talking, will set over them, this is my flock, one shepherd, my servant David. And he will feed them. He will feed them himself and be their shepherd. Now, this is kind of neat. He says, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them, not king. See, there's going to be a king seated on the throne, and next to him is the prince. The prince is David. We knew him as King David, but when he's sitting next to the Lord himself, he's a prince. <laughs> now, among them, I, the Lord, have spoken. <laughs> now, this is a question. Do you believe this? I mean, we're literal interpretation of the Bible. Most of us in here, I'm sure, will believe this. But this is this is the deal. Because, see, David died in 970 B.C. We know when he died. This is 384 years after David died. For Ezekiel to say this implies clearly that David has to be resurrected in order for this to be literally fulfilled. Now David, seen as a shepherd, will be seated with Christ in Jerusalem to rule the nations. David will be resurrected at the second advent. Okay, The rapture, the church age saints, we're the Christ the firstfruits. After that, those who are Christ that is coming. We're the bride and body of Christ. We're resurrected, the rapture. Okay? But then, what about the rest of them that aren't part of the bride? Daniel 12, At that time Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people, will arise. And there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. Does that sound like the tribulation? It's just about as clear as you can, you can spell it out. And at that time your people... Everyone who's found written in the book, the believing sheep, will be rescued. And in case you didn't understand it, keep reading. <laughs> Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake. These to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. 
See how everything comes together? When you let Scripture do it, there's so many things that happen around the second advent. The Lord comes back to defeat his enemies. He's got an agenda when he does it. He brings together all of Israel. He brings together the unbelievers. He separates the sheep and the goats. We're told about the kind of day it will be. It's about as specific a prophecy as you can get. It says in Zechariah 14, it's a day unlike any other day that's ever been in history. It's not going to be daylight. It's not going to be dark. It's just going to be a mess is what it's going to be. And then the Lord comes back. because We've just seen passages that deal with it getting dark. See that the sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. That's Matthew 24. That's Zechariah 14 as well. And when the Lord comes back, he lights up everything. He's the light of the world. Literally. So we have trouble thinking about that. What happens when the sun goes out? Ask a, ask a climate change activist. What happens when we finally extinguish the sun? We all die. Unless there really is a God. <laughs> and if there's really a God, which there is, it doesn't matter if the sun goes out at all. It's hard for us to grasp because we're so used to scientifically trying to understand some things. But the Lord is the Lord. The branch, the king priest will build the millennial temple. So what they're putting together right now, there doesn't need to be a millennial temple till the millennium. So the temple that they've got going on there now, Revelation 11, is the wrong one. Okay? It's the wrong one. That's why he told him to take a measuring rod and measure it. Because it does not fit the dimensions of the millennial temple given in Ezekiel 40 to 48. Okay? They don't fit. So why does he say measure it? Because it doesn't fit. It's not the millennial temple that they're rebuilding. That won't be rebuilt till then. Zechariah 6, take silver and gold, make an ornate crown, set it on the head of Jehoshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Say to him, thus says the Lord of the host, Behold a man whose name is Branch. Now it's not Cliff Branch, the great receiver in the Hall of Fame and all that, but this guy's name is Branch, for he will branch out from where he is. He will build the temple of the Lord. Yes, it is he who will build the temple of the Lord, and he will bear the honor and sit and rule on his throne. Thus he will be a priest on his throne, a king and a priest. Isn't that a novel idea? And the council of peace will be between the two offices. Now the crown will become a reminder in the temple of the Lord to Halim, Tobijah, Jedediah, and him, the son of Zephaniah. Those who are far off will come and build the temple. Then you'll know the Lord of the host has sent me to you. And it will take place if you completely obey the Lord your God. The branch is the Lord himself. Okay? Who's the branch? Isaiah 11 tells us. Isaiah, see, was give, the prophecy was given a couple of hundred years before the book of Ezekiel. So it says, Then a shoot will spring forth from the stem of Jesse... And a branch from his roots will bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. Now, who's he talking about here? It says, will happen. David has come and gone. He's not talking about David. He's talking about someone else. The Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. Doesn't it say that in the Gospels? About Jesus and the Spirit of the Lord rested upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. When you go through and look at these, you find seven characteristics of the Holy Spirit, which are the seven spirits before the throne of God found in the book of Revelation. The sevenfold ministry of the Holy Spirit, and it's found, found here. So he says, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. This is the branch, the God-man. And he will not judge by what his eyes see nor make a decision by what his eyes hear, but with righteousness he will judge the poor. 
and decide with fairness for the afflicted of the earth. And he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. See, that's something a king can't do. (laughs) That's going to have any impact whatsoever. And with the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. How does he take out the Antichrist? Located on in the valley of Esdraelon to the northwest of Jerusalem. We sing about it. One little word shall fail him. He says, And with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Also righteousness will be the belt about his loins and faithfulness the belt about his waist. He's the branch. In the millennial kingdom, Jerusalem will be known as the throne of the Lord. And this is Jeremiah chapter 3. See, see all the prophecies coming together here at one time to, uh, to understand how these things, how these things fit. You can, you can look that one up and read it uh, later. The Lord shall shepherd the nations with a rod of iron. And that's Revelation 2.26. This is in the letters to the churches. He who overcomes, he who keeps my, word, my deeds until the end. To him I will give authority over the nations. And he shall rule them, which is our word shepherd, with a rod of iron. As the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces, as I also have received authority from my father, and I will give him the morning star. Certain people within the church are going to get a special place in the millennial kingdom. The new covenant to Israel, I thought I'd finish the chapter tonight, but I basically run out of time. And I don't want to blow through this summary. <clears throat> the new covenant to Israel is a um, millennial passage. So when you find this treaty that everybody talks about with the Antichrist signing the, the treaty with Israel and all that, Isaiah 28 is what talks about it. It's called the covenant of death. Isaiah, uh, Israel shouldn't have ever signed it to begin with. But they've run out of people defending them. And I think what happens when the United States stops defending them and supplying weapons? What happens if the United States is gone? They're going to come to a treaty table really fast. It's been in their history. That's who they are. And they're still there in unbelief. And so, but this covenant that's going to be professed as a covenant of peace is not the one it is a counterfeit. And what's it counterfeiting? The covenant of peace the Lord will make with Israel. It's a counterfeit. And that's what he talks about. He says, I will make a covenant of peace with them. A berit, which is the word covenant shalom. Berit shalom. And eliminate harmful beasts from the land. No predators will be left in Israel. Whether they're four-legged or two-legged. <laughs> so that they may live securely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. And I, I'll make them, I will make them and the places around my hill a blessing. Uh, baraka. The word blessing is baraka. A lot of us are familiar with that terminology. Now, we're going to track down what the the hill is next week. And I will cause showers to come down in their season. And they'll be showers of blessing. Think we ought to write a song about that. (laughs) Somebody beat us to it, didn't they? Now remember, the first three and a half years of the tribulation, there's no rain. Because Moses and Elijah have sealed up the skies. That's part of why... Everybody in the world wants them dead. Okay? They've sealed it up. But uh, when he says there'll be showers of blessing, the millennial kingdom is going to be so beautiful and perfect and agriculturally uh, prolific. It's going to be something the world's never seen anything like it before. That's what he's describing. And see, right now we see a partial fulfillment because... You can fly into Israel. I've not ever flown into Israel. But it's all desert all the way around it. And you know where the border of Israel is because it turns green. Okay? And you fly in there and you go, 
That's got to be the border of Israel because it's green and nothing else is. So God's given us a taste of what what can happen. But the millennium is going to be all that agricultural prosperity. And yet, um, there's... uh, there's, there's not going to be any, any more war or persecution or anything else. The lion will lay down with the lamb. Why? Because he's take all the predators out. They're all gone. Beautiful passages that we're looking at. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this day, for your love, your mercy, and all you've poured out upon us. And, Father, we just pray that, that you'll continue to guide us. Help us to remember this. And, Lord, in the middle of all this mess going on in the world... I pray that we will, we will have, as your kids, the calmness and the peace about us to, to be able to talk calmly and share with those who are so desperately in need the fact that nothing has gotten out of your control. You know what's going on. And you're bringing about letting this, these difficulties happen so that people will know that you are the Lord. We pray that more and more people will turn to you and that they will be able to uh, begin to understand why. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.